0: Well, hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans, going through it verse by verse. Today we're in chapter two of the book of Romans. I want to pick up our reading in verse 25 and read through verse 29. For circumcision indeed is of value to if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. We've been talking in this early section of the book of Romans about the issue of how everyone needs the gospel. In the first chapter in verse 16, we read, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And in point of fact, everyone needs that power of God unto salvation, because all men and women have sinned, and all men and women, as a result of that sin, have fallen short of God. Those who've never heard the gospel, as we saw, are also under that same judgment, because all people fail the dictates of their own conscience, and therefore they perish not because they haven't heard the gospel or been exposed to the Bible, but because of their own sin and failure. It's the universal leveling point. All humanity stands as a sinner before the God who is really there. Last time we were examining in the preceding verses to today about the question, is being religious enough to solve this dilemma of sin and separation from God? Some people assume that if only they turn over a new leaf and start to become religious in some fashion, that that will solve the accountability issue in their life before God. That will solve the sin problem, which is generating an obstacle in their relationship with God, and more importantly, an ultimate accountability before God. They, in one sense, are trusting in their own efforts to solve the sin issue and to satisfy God's justice. They think that they will be saved if they can be relatively better than the people around them, relatively more religious, relatively more knowledgeable about the Lord. But here's the Achilles' heel as we finish that particular study. The Achilles' heel of the religious person is that even the most religious person still breaks the law. And as we've been discovering, to break the law even at one point makes us a lawbreaker. We become unrighteous whenever we sin. Now, certainly there's degrees of unrighteousness. Certain people can be real moral degenerates. But nonetheless, there's no difference if you are righteous without sin or if you have become a sinner. No matter how much sin has been created, you're still no longer righteous. That's the Achilles heel. Even a determination to turn over a new leaf still does not solve the reality that we still will stumble in sin. So, basically, the summary of all of that is that unless God does something, nobody has any hope. Everyone is in the same situation. Because all of us are sinners and all of us have been separated from God. No matter how morally upright we've tried to be, no matter how religious we've tried to be, everyone is on that same plane. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and face judgment. Those who have the law have rebelled against the law. Those who don't have the law have rebelled against their God-given conscience. It's hopeless unless God does something. But the wonder and praise of the scriptures is that God did something. And the gospel is all about that good news of what he did. He sent his son into the world to die for us. And that gospel, rooted in the work of Jesus dying for us and raising from the dead, is enough to save all who will place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a quick summary of where we've been and it sets the stage for the question being addressed in these final verses of the second chapter. And the question is this, is there any saving value in some religious rite that I could go through? Many religious people will admit that they're not perfect. Only a fool would look at their life and pridefully presume that, no, I don't sin anymore. No, of course. Even the religious person recognizes that they're not perfect. But often the religious person is convinced that having gone through certain religious ceremonies or certain religious rites, that that will solve the problem that they're not perfect. But here's the question that God is addressing here in these final verses. Can any religious right really offset our sin? Can any religious right really offset our failure? Can there be any saving value in such things? Or put it a different way, does God choose to dispense his grace to us through some religious rite? And God answers such questions with a resounding no. <laughs> no, religious rites will not do that. No, I will not dispense to you grace mercy because of having gone through a particular religious rite. Now let's examine why God says no in these verses, because he clarifies it for us. He begins by making it plain to us that sin by its very nature undoes whatever benefit a rite could have offered us in the first place. (laughs) The use of the Jews here has been the key in talking about religious people. And so he's continuing on that theme. The Jews had a particular religious right that was very important to them, a case in point. And of course, that was the right of circumcision. That religious right was something that produced for them a mark that they were truly God's people. They looked at circumcision as a sort of guarantee of god's favor they felt if we had been circumcised then everything's going to be okay now people today and other religious people have other religious rights they look to somebody could say well i i was baptized and therefore i'm going to be okay or i baptized my child and therefore they're going to be okay or there could be other religious rights in the same regard the problem though is i've underscored already in these verses make plain to us is that if any of us ever sin, then whatever value could be gained from a religious right, whether it's baptism, circumcision, or whatever, has been undone. Notice verse 25 puts it this way. Such rights are of value, circumcision is of value, if you obey the law. But once you don't obey it, the rights have no absolutely no redemptive value for you. In fact, he goes further and he says, sin, once we break the law, turns our circumcision into an uncircumcision. You see the picture? (laughs) The religious right becomes as if we hadn't had the religious right. Now, whether it's circumcision or baptism or some other religious right, God is making it plain to us. It doesn't solve the sin issue and the inevitable separation from God that sin produces. Rights are of value only if we keep the law and obey it. But of course, the point in these opening chapters of Romans is that none of us can do that. None of us have been able to carry that out. And therefore, any religious rite, any religious ritual, will not in itself produce a changed condition for us. A religious rite or ritual cannot change a sinner from separation from God into reconciliation with God. Religious rites and rituals by themselves will still leave us without forgiveness for sin. Religious rites and rituals will still leave us without acceptance with God, will still leave us without the promise of eternal life dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Now, why is that? And the answer to that, and listen carefully to me, religious rituals, religious rites, are merely symbols of a truth. They are not some sort of magic, some sort of magic sorcery, let's even say. There's nothing magical, nothing mysterious about them. At their very best, a religious ritual, a religious rite, can teach us about a spiritual truth but they are not the spiritual truth they teach us about they are a symbol of it a religious rite a religious ritual points to an inner reality but it doesn't produce the inner reality and this fact is at the heart of all religious rites and sacrament trust and why those orientations will not solve the sin problem. The God who is really there, our personal God, the creator God, looks at the heart of a person, not at their resume. He looks at the heart of a person, not the resume of religious rites and rituals, nor religious practices. The truth of the heart is the issue before God. And rites, rituals, religious practices never can change a heart problem. They never can cover over a religious problem, heart problem, and they can never atone for sin issues within the heart of a man or a woman. The fact is, all of us are sinners, and something must be done to change us inwardly. We all need our hearts circumcised by the Holy Spirit, is the way he puts it here. Uh, We need circumcised hearts. It's a work that only God can do within a person. It's not a work we can do for ourselves. It doesn't come from going through the motions of a ritual. Repentance and faith in the gospel is the means to having that inner work, that transforming work, done by the Spirit of God. So an assurance can never rest on a religious rite. If one is looking to a religious ritual or a religious rite, is the reason they have confidence about their future. They are looking at the wrong place. Such activities never produce that right standing with God. Such activities never produce the change that God wants. And he uses the illustration here of the Jew, And he ends by talking about who is a true Jew. And he says, listen, the true Jew is one who has internal change, not external affiliation. Not one who has gone through some external religious rite. A true Jew is not one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of of the heart by the Spirit of God, not by the letter of the law through our acts of obedience. All right. The true Jew is marked by internal change, not external religious right. Each person must find that true inner change. You remember in John chapter three, the religious leader Nicodemus came to Jesus by night to ask him questions about truth, because he was seeking the truth, and God and Jesus' response to him in Matthew three was Nicodemus, you must be born again It's not enough to try to do your best. it's not enough to even be a religious leader. you must be born again. you must have that sort of interchange and of course that was confusing to Nicodemus, and God Christ developed that a bit more for him to explain how it was faith in the Son who came to die and that would produce that interchange, that born-again condition. Each person, in order to be right with God, has to have something happen to make them a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we learn if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, everything has become new. The true Jew is one who experienced a transformed heart. One who found inner change. And that didn't come from any religious practice. It came from being born anew. The true Jew was marked by a circumcised heart, not a circumcised body. Just as the true believer is marked by a washed, clean, circumcised heart, not by external actions like masses or baptisms or other such things. No, sacraments never produce it. The true Jew, like the true believer of any sort, must have a transformed heart, not merely a reformed heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, we read these words, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. This was a promise to the Jews talking about what would happen later through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. (laughs) Remember, we've talked often about the fact that the universal problem of humanity is that they're sinners. Everybody has broken the greatest of the commandments. And remember what that was? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. (laughs) Here in Deuteronomy 30, God says, listen, there's going to come a time when there will be a transforming of heart. God will circumcise your heart so that you will be able to love me in that fashion. Internal transformation, not merely external religious orientation, external religious rights. Only the new birth can allow us to ultimately fulfill the greatest of the commandments. (laughs) And ultimately, we stand before God because of the new birth, based on the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Internal change. That's always the issue. And religious rites, religious sacraments can never produce that internal change. Romans 1.16, this gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes is all about how God goes about replacing our works and our sin. Only the gospel has the power to save sinners because the gospel is all about how God will credit the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is all about how God helps us to become born again, born anew, made into these new creations, Those who are in Christ are a new creation. The gospel is all about that transforming work, that transforming power. That, not religious activity, not turning over a new leaf, not some religious ritual or rite or sacrament. That is how one finds right standing with God through the gospel. The gospel is the only way that a person can find God's praise for his life. Notice how this chapter ends. His praise is not from man, but from God. How does one find praise from God? And the answer to that is only if, when looking at us, God sees the life of his Son, the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes as the great promise of credited righteousness to us, when we repent and believe, give up trying to earn relationship with God, humbly acknowledge we are sinners and separated and hopeless, then turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and rest in his work on the cross on our behalf. Our only hope is found there. You and I need to be concerned with how God sees us. And God sees us In terms, he sees all the way through to our heart. And he sees whether the truth is there or not. He sees whether we are sinless or not. And thankfully, he sees, if we've repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in fact we've done that and we're resting in the Lord. Listen, stop looking at the relative curve that exists out there as you compare yourself to other people. The fact of the matter is, God isn't marking on a curve as we've looked at several times. He is measuring us in absolute terms, in light of his absolute righteousness and justice and holiness. All of us fall short of that amazing, amazing uh, standard. And as a result, there's nothing we can do to get ourselves up to that standard once we've sinned. Our only hope is that God has provided another way to stand before him, another way to solve the fact that we are sinners. And of course, that solution is to have the perfect life of Christ credited to us. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Therein do we see the wonder of the gospel. Our hope is is found in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Religious rituals, rites, sacraments are merely symbols, and they can't save anyone. No sacrament could ever save someone. Only a Savior can save someone. So don't trust in a sacrament, a religious rite. Don't trust in baptism. Don't trust in circumcision. Don't trust in any sacrament. Trust instead in a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, and who's coming again. Rest in the work he has done on our behalf. Religious rites can never make us right before God. Religious practices can never make us right before God. Turning over a new leaf can never make us right before God. All of us are sinners, and there's nothing we can do to change from being a sinner into having not ever sinned. We can become improved people, but not saved people. You and I need what only the Lord Jesus Christ can do for us. That's the reason Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation everyone who believes are you resting and trusting this day in some sort of external are you resting in the ability to turn over a new leaf in your life are you resting in your ability to be more religious than some other people you may know are you resting in some religious sacrament that you are hoping will make you right with God brothers and sisters rest in the Lord Jesus Christ alone he only is our answer without him We are without hope. Turn to that one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and rest in his work on your behalf. Chapter 3 opens up, and we'll turn attention to that, Lord willing, next time, by addressing the question that while religion cannot save anyone, religious practices cannot save anyone, there was still a benefit from being a Jew join me as we talk about what that benefit could possibly be if it can't save someone, and we'll develop that further as we move forward in our study of the book of Romans. God bless.